1: hello everybody welcome to today's edition of the victor marks show scott mann is joining us today and many of you have probably heard of him Uh, he spent 22 years in the army 18 of those years as a green beret Uh, he specialized in unconventional high impact missions all over the world scott is now a strategic connection coach teaching corporate leaders and their teams techniques to build trust and relationships He's, he's also a certified breath coach and speaker. Scott is the author of several books, including Game Changers, Mission America, and we're going to talk today special about his latest project. Uh, that's powerful. It's called Last Out. It's the elegy of a Green Beret. You guys, I'm excited to have him on the show today. Scott, man, welcome. Hey, Victor. Thanks for having me, brother. So this is pretty exciting all those years in special operations all that time hurting people's feelings and saving good lives and all that. And here you are, you've, you've coached and helped corporate leaders, uh, do all this. And yet I, I, I love the fact that you've turned to the arts to help further a story that would help many through, uh, you wrote a play. Tell us about this play.
2: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate being on. Uh, It was something that uh, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would do. Um, You know, I when I came out of the military like you and so many folks, my my transition was, uh, you know, a bit clunky. In fact, it was downright rough. Um, and I, I really struggled with my transition, in fact, and it got really dark, and at some point along the way, I had a couple of civilian mentors. Uh, one of them was a former football player named Bo Eason who uh, ended up becoming a playwright and an actor. He really turned me on to storytelling, I, you know, as I was looking for the next thing for me, and 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 he showed me how he used story to come out of the NFL and, and bridge into the civilian world and take the lessons that he had learned you know, on a, as a free safety on a high-performing team and, and to help people. And I, I basically followed that same formula and used storytelling to take the lessons that I had learned as a Green Beret, building relationships in these low trust areas to help leaders here at home build trust because it's about as low trust here as it is abroad, if not worse. And along the way, Bo kept coaching me that there was a, a deeper story in me um and i had never written a play or acted or any of that stuff but i did love storytelling he had written a one-person play called runt of the litter and it was all about him and his brother tony easton who played for the patriots both played for the oars their path as farm boys to become pro football players as these scrawny kids and and it was a one-person show it was brilliant it went off broadway and he said you know look even if it never sees the light of day it'll heal you in the process. And it was at a point in my life, Victor, where I was so disgruntled with what was going on in the country. It seemed like nobody even knew that we had men and women deployed. I'd lost 23 friends in combat. Um, And I thought, man, you know, I've tried everything I can. I've gone on CNN and Fox and been on stage and telling stories but nobody seems to even care Mm. that uh we're at war and then my son told me he wanted to be an sf guy as well and i was like all right that's it um so that was when i decided to write the play it took me two years to write it uh another year to learn how to act to complete my midlife crisis
1: yeah
2: um and then another year to to put it up and tour so it's been a four four and a half year journey incredible um so was that actually
1: you in the trailer that I just saw? Yeah, that's me. Oh my gosh! Yeah.
2: Wow. Okay. You know, I was like, wow, they they hired professional actors to do this. Okay. Well, here was the thing. So the play is about a a, a green beret sergeant because nobody ever writes movies or plays about NCOs. They're always about officers, and I was an officer, so I'm I'm lumped into that category. But I wanted to tell the story. You know, you always see the movies, Victor about the first in, right? Whether it's a fighter pilot or a Navy SEAL or Marine Recon, it's always the first in. But I I looked at it, I'm like, all right, we're we're 15 years into this war at the time I started writing. And I thought, man, that's like three times longer than World War II. Nobody ever tells the stories of the last out, you know, the men and the women and their families who go back day after day month after month year after year we got veterans that have deployed 12 13 times in this war mm. and family members that have endured that for you know decades mm. no one tells their story so I built this story around a, a, a team sergeant named Danny Patton and he's a composite character of three team sergeants that I that I lost in combat mm. and I rolled them all into one character mm-hmm. and it's all Danny is killed in the very first scene. Uh, and he wants to ascend to the warrior resting place of Valhalla, but uh, he's holding on to something. He's stuck. He's stuck between his fire base and his living room. That's his oh, purgatory. Wow. And, and uh, he needs to ascend. He needs to let go, but he can't. And so his best friend who was killed in the Pentagon on 9-11 named Kenny, who was based on my best friend who was killed in the Pentagon, comes down from Valhalla along with two other operators, as we call them, and they're shapeshifters, and they become the people in Danny's life who made his heart pump the most blood. And they take Danny back through his life from the time he joins Special Forces, through uh, gets married, has a child, 9-11, deployment after deployment, until he finally figures out what it is he's holding on to, and he lets go.
1: Wow. This is mind-boggling. I didn't expect this at all. This is so powerful. Thank you. I mean, I just instantly think of how many, not yeah. only men and women who served, but their families, who, right, right, who, who, yeah, paid the price as well, and maybe still are.
2: You know, it seems here's the other problem I have with the way warriors are portrayed today. Every movie you see, every book you see is either portraying us as superhuman door kickers or or completely broken individuals that require the care and feeding of our nation for the rest of our life. Now, there are both of those categories in the military and in the veteran community, and and we, we should celebrate both of them. But that is not, in my assessment, the representation of the bulk of the military population the veterans or their families. Yeah. And so I wanted to show the day-to-day um, impact. And by putting Danny in purgatory between his living room and his fire base, and then having the operators take him back through his life, what you see is not only the, the impact of the journey on the warrior, but also you get a glimpse inside the military family that frankly, I'm proud to say, I don't think any production has ever done. Mm. Um, We go deeper into the relationships. I'll give you an example, Victor. After the show, we do these talkbacks with the community. We toured 16 cities across America, put 28,000 miles on a U-Haul van. And uh, after the show, married couples would come up to us and they would both be in tears, you know, Mm. the Marines, Air Force. And they had been married for, you know, a couple of decades and stuff would come up in that play where the spouse had no idea that that's what her husband went through and where the husband had no idea that that's what his spouse went through when he was gone. And so they would be like, yeah, we have a lot to talk about on the ride home tonight and uh, in a good way. Right. That's been probably one of the coolest parts is really being able to celebrate and validate the journey of the military family, because I think they're a national treasure that needs to be celebrated.
1: Agreed. You know, powerful insight uh, to what you're saying, uh, recently we just had uh, a group of SF fellows come out uh, for a weekend here at the Leadership Training Center. They're active. They brought their spouses. And, you know, we we do what we do over here, right? So mm-hmm. what do you want to do? Simulation, hand-to-hand combatives, <laughs> go to range. But with your brides, and it was to give their wives an idea of some of their skill sets and who they are, because you typically hear from a military wife, especially SF, because that community is different, right? It's like he comes home, he's just mm-hmm. he walls it off. I don't I can't really get to him. He's distant. And there is this lack of intimacy, right? In the sense of into me, you see that that wives struggle with and the husbands, because obviously there are things that they're not allowed to share. Right. It's, you know, mission first. So this sounds very powerful. There's people listening right now. This is being aired on 450 radio stations as we speak. Wow. And yeah, uh, across the nation. And uh, we're going to, we're going to, this, this is going to be on our podcast and we'll put it on YouTube, but how do people find out more about this? Like right now?
2: Right. Yeah. So the first thing I will say is we're going to make this thing available to the country. You know, we're going to put it out on Memorial Day. Okay. The the way that people will be able to to learn about the play uh, is if they go to lastoutplay.com. Let me just say this first, Victor. I think this is important. The way that we're going to put the film out, right? We're breaking all the rules on this because. From the time we started this film, everybody told us it couldn't be done. Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody told us, like, you know, Welcome to Hollywood. Oh man, let me tell you, when we did the play, we could not rent a theater in Tampa, Florida, where I'm from, because no theater would rent us the space. Because they, Unreal. you know, they they thought it was gonna either be pro war or whatever. And they we ended up having to rent the Marriott um, and and rented our own equipment. And we put this thing on and it was a wild success. And then people were saying, hey, this thing needs to go on tour. Well, every place that we went on tour, we had community hosts who would actually bring us into the community. They would get the venue. They would um, bring the butts in the seats and even bring us food. And Like, it was amazing. It was truly, you know, we were like an old school troop. And by the way, everybody in the cast is a veteran or a military family member. And our team our support team same way really? um, like our tour manager uh lost her husband an air force veteran to suicide uh our our logistics team we have gold star moms on the team and so it's a pretty eclectic group of uh misfits every everybody has skin in the game on this one oh man and, and uh, but anyway these community hosts were amazing they were the ones that really made it possible logistically so what we decided when we when the COVID shut it down we said all right we're going to put this thing to a film we're going to get it out to the country um but the first thing we got to do is figure out how do you get it out there with all this noise and distrust in the country right, right now right. and people trying to dismantle the military as racist and all this other stuff so we said we're going to do it ourselves we're going to do it grassroots just like the play. so we put together a community host program and so what we're going to do is we're going to have a hundred community hosts across the country they're going to work with us to host Memorial Day watch parties. Oh. Um, so this thing will come out on Memorial Day as a limited release. And the only way you can watch it is if you click into one of these links that the hosts across the country have uh, for the watch party.
1: So what if somebody wants to be a
2: host? So what I would say right now is uh, we've already got about 25 hosts. We'd love to, here's what we ask. If you want to host, okay. uh, help us raise $5,000 to our GoFundMe page. Cause this is a quarter million dollar project okay. uh, help us spread. Spread the word in your network that the, about the play because we'll we'll send you trailers and all kinds of stuff, and then just host a virtual watch party, uh, and honor honor the fallen in, in your tribe or gold stars or however you want to do it, and uh, and that's it. If people are interested, if you wouldn't mind, I wonder uh, they could either send you to your website there that they're interested, in and we can connect that way, uh, or if they go to lastoutplay.com and connect to us there, or they can even send me a, a an email, scott at rooftopleadership.com, uh, any of those if people want to host, and then we'll get our tour manager, Carrie, in touch with them.
1: That sounds great. Listen, folks, I just watched the trailer. It's a short trailer. I did not expect it. It, it immediately invoked emotion in me. Uh, it's a play, but you'll put it to film. And I was absolutely stunned. Yeah, to what it did, just like that. And uh, you know, we've put out a few films. I've produced things. I yeah, I get it. Uh, so this is very powerful. Look, we're talking about saving lives. We're talking about healing families. Yeah. Uh, let me let me back up to something you said. Sure. Uh, right in the beginning, you said after you got out, your transition, you went dark. I, I hear that a lot. People hear that. Why do so many getting out of the military, uh, especially those who've been pretty active and stuff, why do things go dark?
2: Uh, we lose touch with our purpose and we lose touch with our, our narrative.
1: Is it the same thing as I say men need a mission? Yeah. You, you, you got to have a purpose and a mission, um, especially when you're high speed, right? I mean, you Oh, just, man.
2: Uh, I do it on the rooftop leadership side. You know, I teach, uh, human connection, right? It's leadership, but it's, it's human connection skills, interpersonal skills. Mm. And there's a real science to that. It's not just art, you know, and one of the things in all of my years of working three decades of this, what I've learned is that humans are the most meaning seeking creatures on the planet yeah. without purpose. We die without purpose an organization dies. You know, and, and uh, Simon Sinek is absolutely right. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. We assign meaning to everything we do in life. And and that's why in a mission statement in the U.S. military, it doesn't matter if you're a Marine, you know, Air Force, Army, Navy, uh, a mission statement has two components, task and purpose. You know, and if you look at any warrior who uh, accomplishes great feats on the battlefield above their pay grade, they'll usually say, uh, I didn't want to let my buddies down and I knew why I was there, you know, and when, you know, we're the only force in the world really that tells our people at the most junior level why they're doing something, mm-hmm. usually two, t- two levels up. Why? Because we know that when when things fall apart, purpose is what we anchor to. And so when we leave the military, think about it. Now, this is uh, the military is as tribal a society as any clan in Afghanistan. It is tribal. We are built on honor and shame and vengeance. We operate as a tribe. And tribes, what make them a tribe is that the group is above the individual. Individualism is actually held in low regard in the military. Well, when you leave the military into the civilian world, what happens? You literally change planets and you go from a status society that is group and honor based to a contract transactional society that is individual and achievement-slash-credit-based. Right. So everything in your internal operating system has literally been thrown upside down, and you have no preparation for it. In fact, you don't even have a language for it.
1: Are you all listening right now? My veteran brothers and sisters, are you listening? Those of you who are getting ready to transition out, We've got a sage on the program
2: today who's laying it straight keep going Scott oh thank you no I you know and look I I found this out because I ended up standing in a closet holding a 45 yep and no and no intention of walking out of there you know and, and this isn't some uh, some epiphany yeah. that I found in a textbook it got as about as dark for me as it can possibly get. And, you know, I didn't have any of this language at that time. I didn't have any of that. I, I left the military. That's at the top of my game. Mm. I mean, I wanted to be a Green Beret from the time I was 14 years old, Victory. It was everything to me. And I, and I was able to do it and fulfill on it. I didn't leave bitter or disgruntled. I, I left on my terms. I retired. Uh, my family was still intact. I had a good contract job. Like everything on the surface was exactly the way I wanted it to be, but but inside, within a couple of days of you know taking off those desert boots and putting on my Tampa Bay flip flops, uh, the snakes in my head started squirming, and I could not, for the life of me, assign any kind of meaning to what was happening. And and I just honestly, I thought I was going nuts. Right. Um. And but what I've learned since then, you now running a lot of miles and doing a lot of work in the nonprofit transition storytelling space is that humans are meaning-seeking story animals. Mm -hmm. And and when we leave a culture that is completely tribal and honor-based and where we assign our meaning based on how we are looked upon in the group and then we walk into a world where everything is based on what you do as an individual to climb over that group. We don't mm. know how to navigate the space. Like we have right. no we have no agency in that space. So what I had to do, and I think what so many of our brothers and sisters had to have to do, unfortunately, finding that on instinct is dangerous, is yeah. I had to reconnect to my purpose. I had to reclaim mm. my purpose. And the way I did that was by reclaiming my narrative. You see, mm. the the brain is a metaphorical pattern matching organ. The brain makes sense of the world by telling itself a story, right? So if the brain sees new a new environment, it looks for patterns, for neural maps, story maps that tell us what's happening. And when we go into this new planet of civil society, all we have are the old stories, right? And, yeah. and so we got to find a new narrative, a new story for our journey. And that is in my opinion the most important transition tool not just veterans but family members can find is reconnecting to our narrative and figuring out what that hero's journey is and 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 it's going to have some scars in it it's going to have some struggles in it it's going to have some pain in it and it's all a biological necessity and then once we start to reconnect to our story there's a there's a, there's a way forward
1: so let me, let me take this from a, a, a little different angle. DOD, the Pentagon, they've engaged me. I travel and speak at bases, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily based on, you know, under the suicide prevention deal. But I, I work with recruits, to cadre, to leaders, and tons of bases. There is an issue of resiliency, the lack of, that seems to be corroding and destroying uh, our military uh, morale, mission, from the inside out, mm-hmm. the suicide rate is extremely high. It is among active duty, and it's shocking. So, what would you say, both to the younger, you know, soldier that's just in, or even a young person who's trying to find their way? I mean, they may be late teens, early twenties. They just can't get a mission. They're, they're calling for something, can't get it. And then they just, they folded everything.
2: Yeah. No, that's a great question. It's a tough question. It is. Um, it is. And it I is. will tell you, I, I go back to, I believe yeah. that in every single one of us, there is an innate purpose. My dad calls it leaving tracks. I think we are actually born and gifted a purpose and it's less yeah. about finding it and yeah. more about uncovering it. Okay. If, for example, Victor, I feel like a lot of people who are looking for their purpose, what what they try to do is they try to do what these thought leaders tell them to do, which is probably a bad idea. I think right. if we try to if we try to be still and just reflect on our purpose. I guess not how it works. I I feel like movement and meaning are inextricably linked. When we move, we find meaning. When you and I, before we came on the podcast, we talked about farming. Like, you grew up farming, I grew up farming, and I will tell you that there's something to movement. Like, when you move, even if you've gone through trauma, like, I do a lot of breath work with people who have dealt with trauma and who, are, you know, and I had to do a ton of breath work for the play because the play is all based on true stories that happened. Wow. And, and so, you know, I would get triggered yeah. in the play and I would have to move and do breath work to move through that. And I believe that we find purpose through movement and we find purpose by looking in the eyes of our ranger buddy, our battle buddy. Focusing on people around us. What do they need from me right now? How can I be of service? Mm-hmm. How can I play a game bigger than myself? When life falls apart, it's usually because we're in our own head and we're worried about how we're doing instead of the person across from us. We are social creatures. We are wired to actually take care of other human beings. Um, and I think that we can, when we're in our darkest place, that's when we need to really focus in the eyes of the person across from us and ask how we can serve or play our position for them, and we will find meaning in that.
1: The, it's brilliant simplicity. You know, it's it's an attitude of servanthood that gives a person a mission. You know, I, I remember the old story, hey, if, if you're feeling depressed and down, bake a dozen cookies and go down to your local orphanage and hand the you know cookies out. It was that That principle of just kind of getting perspective, and I believe there's truth to that. This has gone by so fast that people are going to have to listen to this again, (laughs) because I took notes like I'm a court reporter uh, with shorthand, Uh, and I barely know how to spell. No, I'm the same way. Can you just hang out for a minute so we can do another broadcast? This is too good to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. And if you're enduring and struggling, don't give up. Press on, press on, press on. And uh, whatever God calls you to do, again, do it full throttle for His glory. i go get it done. God bless you.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.